Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. If you'd like to turn with me now to 2 Samuel chapter 3, and there should be Bibles either in front of you or on the windowsills next to you. So 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 22. Just then, the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he'd gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told to Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king and has let him go, and he's gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know your going out and coming in and to know all that you were doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak, to, to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall on the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai's brother killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And and King David followed the buyer. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Why should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me and more also, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them. As everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, 
Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. There's something quite satisfying about revenge, isn't there? I mean, have a think about it. When was the last time that um, you either watched a, a film or a TV show or read a book that was all about revenge? As I got thinking about this, I realized that a lot of my favorite films are all about revenge. Uh, one of my favorite films is Gladiator, a Roman soldier uh, who has everything taken away from him by the jealous emperor. Uh, and the film is about him fighting his way back to Rome so he can finally take his revenge. And I think I find that the more evil we see um, that's happened to a character at the start of a film like this, the more we celebrate when at the end they finally manage to take their revenge. And I often hear this phrase, a satisfying death, used to describe when an evil character finally gets what's coming to them. It's something we see glorified throughout our media in the films and books that we read. But the Bible also contains stories about revenge, including the passage that we just read there. So today, let's refresh our view on this topic and see what God has to say about it. So our passage today, first of all, shows us an example of revenge, and then we'll go on to show us the King David's response to it. So first of all, look with me now to the first half of our passage, verses 22 to 27, where we see Joab's unsatisfying revenge. I think this section shows us three important things about revenge that I'll focus on throughout this. And so we've got the root of revenge, the hypocrisy of revenge, and lastly, the consequences of revenge. But before we see any of these things, let's set the scene and remind ourselves of where we are in the story of Second Samuel. So our passage opens just moments after a successful meeting between David and Abner. Abner, who had been the right-hand man of David's rival to the throne, ended up falling out with his own king and has now switched to David's side instead. And as part of that, he's promised that he's going to now go to the northern tribes and get them to join David on his side too. And last week we looked at the way that um, throughout all this mess of this broken kingdom at that time, that the promise that Abram makes here brings hope. Hope of a united and peaceful nation of Israel. David and Abner's peaceful negotiation I think should leave us feeling quite a sense of relief at this point. So far as a church we've only read two and a half chapters Um, of 2 Samuel so far and and what have we had? We've had battles, murders, executions and I think it's finally time um, that we can have a bit of a breather here. And I think for the people of Israel they would also be feeling the relief of this situation. Uh, This peace agreement provided hope of an end to this ongoing civil war in their land. A war that had come after years of war-torn leaderless anarchy. So for God's people, the prospect of peace and unity across the land would have been warmly welcomed. It had been a long time coming. 
And for David, this relief would be felt very personally too. We can just imagine as Abner leaves after this, the door closes behind him and David can feel calm. But it's right at this point in verse 22 of our passage that Joab bursts onto the scene. Joab, the commander of David's army, and his band of warriors arrive back from a successful raid. The calm and quiet of David's finalized peace deal are now interrupted by this great soldier, Joab, telling stories of a successful raid that he's just got back from. But Joab hasn't heard the news yet. He's not heard about Abner's visit. So in verse 23, he's filled in with what's happened whilst he was away. He's told that whilst he was away, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he's let him go, and he's gone in peace. And I think it's safe to say that Joab doesn't respond too well to this news. Joab clearly thinks it's absolutely outrageous that Abner was able to come and visit David in his home and live to tell the tale. Why would you let Abner go? He's clearly come here to deceive you and to spy on you. And of course, we can probably understand why he's feeling this way. Previously in chapter 2, Abner had been the one that had killed Joab's brother. And this has clearly left Joab longing for payback. And that brings us to our first point about revenge, and that's the root of revenge. Joab's anger here must have led him to forget who he was actually speaking to. Notice that in verses 23 and 24, David is exclusively referred to as the king. It doesn't matter if Joab didn't agree with what David's done. He was the God-appointed king. This gave Joab no right to burst out at him like this. He's letting his own anger and pride fuel his accusations here. Joab hates the fact that David is working with Abner. And he's let this distort his view of what is right and wrong. And that right there is the root of revenge. Anger, hatred, pride, causing us to lose sight of how God wants us to respond to things. Just like Joab, I think we too can let our own anger and pride get in the way of listening to what God says. It's, it's okay that I'm angry at this person. They, they've done wrong, so it's fine for me to feel this way. Just like Joab, when we're wronged, it, it can be um, so easy to justify sinful thoughts and actions towards them. And of course, I, I don't want to shy away from the fact that for some of us here, we'll have been really hurt by people. We'll have felt anger that we didn't think we could ever experience. But think of Joab here. His brother Asahel had been brutally killed on the battlefield. We can only imagine the hurt and anger that he must have felt here. But even so, Joab stands as an example of how a revenge-filled heart can lead to really awful things. 
Joab's vengeance will lead him to, to carry out an injustice far worse than I hope anyone here will ever do. But we can see that the root cause all the way throughout this is there. We must see the, the terrible danger of letting our grudges and anger get in the way of how God has told us to live. It doesn't matter how much we've been hurt. This may look like the snappy comments we make to our colleagues that annoy us. Perhaps it's just constantly dwelling on that family member who just never cared for us how we should. These things can seem small and seemingly harmless, but their root comes from the same vengeful place as Joab. It's a dangerous place to find ourselves in. But sadly for Joab, he couldn't see this danger at all. In fact, a a strongly worded rant here just wasn't enough for him. And when he sees that the king has nothing to say in response, he decides that it's time to take matters into his own hands. Look now to verses 26 and 27. Notice verse 26 starts by saying, When Joab came out of David's presence... Here, Joab is going behind David's back and without his permission. He knows full well that what he's about to do isn't right. And alarm bells should be ringing for all of us as we read through this. Joab then sends out messengers to retrieve Abner and bring him back to the city. And they tell him to return so that Joab can have a a private word with him. And Abner obliges here without question. As the reader, we can see the danger that's coming, but Abner would have thought there's nothing to worry about. If you look back to verse 21, where our passage from last week ended, you'll see um, that Abner had left the city in peace. Then again, at the end of verse 22, he left in peace. And once more, at the end of verse 23, Joab is told that Abner left in peace. Can you see what's being emphasized here? The writer wants us to know that absolutely everything about this discussion between Abner and David had been completely peaceful. It's likely that Abner, as he left, was granted some kind of security guarantee, as you'd expect with a peace agreement. So it's with this false sense of security that Abner was quite happy to return and speak to Joab. But when he gets back to Hebron, he goes and speaks to Joab, um, and Joab has other ideas. Without hesitation, in verse 27, it says, Joab struck Abner in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Joab's revenge is complete. But the book of Second Samuel isn't interested at all in glorifying revenge like our favorite films might. The author doesn't give us the satisfying death, but instead a tragic one. He shows us here our, our next point about revenge, and that's the hypocrisy of revenge. The way Joab kills Abner by striking him in the stomach is almost identical to the way that Abner had killed Joab's brother Asahel earlier. It's a sickening retaliation from Joab here. 
He was so angry at Abner for killing Asahel, yet he's gone and done the same thing to him in the same way. And how ironic for Joab to accuse Abner of deceiving David, only to go on to deceive him in one of the worst ways you could imagine. But that's the way that revenge so often goes, isn't it? We respond to other people's wrongdoing with our own. It's just crazy sometimes, I think, how angry and hurt we can be by um, what someone has done to us, only to end up giving them the same or even worse back and act as if that's okay. And this isn't to say that um, evil doesn't deserve to be punished. We'll, We'll come back to that later on when we speak about David's justice. But for now, we need to realize the hypocritical reality of repaying evil with more evil. But the the hypocrisy of of Joab's murder here gets even worse, though. He's, He's not actually just done the same thing as Abner, but he's actually done something far worse. There's a crucial difference between these two deaths here that we we need to notice. It says in verse 28 that Asahel was killed in battle, which means that Joab is settling a public battle with a private vendetta. And these these are two completely different things. To use a a modern example, this would be like in a football game, if if someone went in just for a really dirty tackle on someone. Um, But imagine the next day, they're walking down the high high street, minding their own business, when out of nowhere, someone comes, studs up, two-footed tackle, knocking them to the pavement. These are obviously two completely different situations. Context is really important. The first might get you sent off, but if you retaliate like that, you're going to get arrested for assault. And maybe that is a bit of a stretch to start comparing football to actual battles, but I'm doing this because I think it's really important that um, we don't underestimate the wickedness of Joab's attack here. If we don't understand the the context of it fully, we, we might think it was actually okay for him to avenge his brother here, but we need to see just how wrong this is. So bearing this in mind, we're now left wondering what's going to happen when everyone finds out about this. And that leads us to our third point about revenge here, and that's the consequences of revenge. The prospect of peace and hope for God's people that we had at the start just seems to shatter in front of us here. Within moments of a successful peace negotiation, we now have a political assassination. Can you imagine the uproar that would have resulted from this? And this is the kind of thing we see in the world today, isn't it? Think of George Floyd a couple of years ago or um, Masa Amini in Iran recently. One death can lead to a huge nationwide response. In this situation, we've got Abner, a leader from the northern tribes, who against all odds has gone to David to help him, most likely resulting in David ruling over all the tribes. Yet on the way back from this, he's murdered. I'm sure there would have been a lot of questions being asked after this. And our second half 
of the passage, we'll look at David's efforts to try and control the damage that Joab has caused here, but um, there are just some things that can never be fully cleaned up. Joab's deceit here will, will have fueled a distrust between the northern and southern tribes. As we read through more of the Old Testament, we'll see that lasts for generations. Joab's revenge echoes through history. We can see that revenge-fueled actions have long-lasting consequences. In a split second, our heat-of-the-moment comments or actions can cause hurt that can last such a long time. For many of us, this, this might be a feeling that we're just all too familiar with. A thoughtless comment to a spouse or flatmate or friend that just made the rest of the day awkward. Perhaps it's, it's bigger than that. Maybe it's a relationship or a friendship that has just never been the same since we said or did that one thing. If Joab had stopped to think about the consequences of what he did here, I think maybe things would have gone differently. I think so often that's the case for many of us. So what's now going to be done to fix the situation then? Joab's revenge has jeopardized the prospect of a united Israel under King David. So naturally, I think all eyes are going to be on the king to see how he responds. We're now going to look at the second half of our passage. We've seen Joab's unsatisfying revenge. And so now in verse 28 to 39, we'll see David's weak justice. So have a look now at verse 28, which shows us David's immediate response to what's just happened. He says, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. First things first, David wants to make it perfectly clear that he played absolutely no part in this. David's top priority as king is to ensure that the northern tribes remain on side so that he can rule a united Israel. He realizes that Joab's foolish revenge could risk peace falling apart just moments after it seemed so close. And as part of showing that he played no part in Abner's murder, in verse 29, the king rightly condemns Joab for what he's done. Joab may have thought that his actions were justified, but David knows how truly wrong Joab's murder was. So he looks to God to judge Joab by pronouncing a curse on him and his descendants, a curse of disease, of wickedness, of weakness, of death and starvation. A condemning message has been strongly passed on to Joab. And David goes beyond just condemning evil, but also mourns the injustice of what's happened towards Abner. In a detailed description um, from verses 31 through to verse 35, David commands Joab to tear his clothes. He leads Abner's funeral. He weeps for what's happened and even refuses to eat to show his grief. This is all David leading the people in a correct response to injustice and death. 
Second Samuel is a book showing us the difference that having a godly leader makes for God's people. And here, David's response uh, plays a part in that. It shows us what life under, under the rule of a God-appointed king would be like for Israel. Revenge-fueled murder is not tolerated, but condemned. The pain of injustice is not ignored. He's being the leader that Israel had been longing for for so long. And it's, it's something we all long for, isn't it? I think it feels like we always seem to be in a situation where it's the people condemning the people at the top for what they're doing wrong. But what we really want is a leader that's above reproach, who can call out and condemn the wrong that people do. We want a godly leader who can come and condemn what is evil. And it's exactly that that we want in these moments when we've been wronged as well. We long for a higher authority to come and call it out and say, that's wrong, you can't do that. We want our pain to be recognized and and understood. And I think that's why instead we so often end up seeking revenge when so often this condemnation and, um, and grief never comes. But even with David's response as, as leader here, his strong response that he shows, will this have been enough to restore the hope of peace that was there at the start of our passage? Well, have a look at verse 36, and we, we see there that, um, how the people respond to this. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all the people. Our passage, opened in peace, is dramatically interrupted by the murder of Abner. But after a powerful response from David, the situation seems to be back under control. David is really proving himself here to be a leader that can bring unity and peace, even with big obstacles in his way. He's looking like quite a good leader at this point. It looks like the, the situation's been dealt with. Joab's damage has been um, contained. His foolish act of revenge has been addressed. But has it been fully addressed? Think back to chapter 1. We, we went through it a while ago now. And, but remember when the Amalekite comes to David and claims to have killed Saul. What was David's response then? Well, in that case, the Amalekite was killed for his actions. The Old Testament law is very clear on this issue. A murderer is to receive nothing less than the death penalty. David was right to do that in chapter 1 with the Amalekite. So why has he not done it here? Why is it one treatment for some and not for others? Well, I don't think that the passage here necessarily makes it completely obvious. Um, But verse 39 does help us to understand the situation a bit better. Have a look at that now. It says, And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These These men, the son of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. Here David recognizes that he acted gently 
in comparison to Joab's severity. David's admitting a real weakness in his justice here. He's fully aware of it. Describing himself as gentle here might seem positive at first glance, but not, not in this context, not when it comes to the king's role as judge. When a murderer is on trial, a gentle judge is not what you want. David is admitting his weak justice here. This may have been that he was too weak in a literal sense. Um, maybe Joab um, was too politically or physically strong for David to execute, even if he wanted to. Alternatively, it may be that David just couldn't afford to lose a crucial commander in his military. Or it may just have been that family ties between David and Joab were too strong. Verse 39 reminded us that, that Joab is the son of David's sister, Zeruiah. Perhaps a, a close family bond prevented him from carrying out justice properly. In any case, David's not carried out justice here. In many ways, he's shown himself to be a good God-appointed king. But as a sinful and weak human, he's still falling short. Whether it was physical, political, or emotional weakness, it's clear that David did not have the strength to carry out the justice that he knew was right. And this is quite an interesting point for us to remember all the way through the book of Second Samuel. God's people have been waiting anxiously for hundreds of years for a man who God would appoint to restore things to how they were before the fall. David shows that he can somewhat fulfill this role as a good and righteous king for God's people, but he also shows that he's not capable of doing it perfectly. Both of our main characters today, both David and Joab, are descended from the same sinful origin, Adam. And because of this, David can only act as an imperfect picture of the perfect sinless king that would come in Christ. Just like David, Christ condemned the evil of the world. He mourned for the injustice of it, but... Christ goes beyond David. Unlike David, Christ will bring perfect justice. He's promised to do this on the day that he returns. And ultimately, that is why we don't need to take revenge. We can rest peacefully knowing that Christ will judge all evil one day. Anyone that has wronged us, even those who seem to have walked away from it without any repercussions at all, will one day be accountable to Christ for what they've done. Whether it's the murderer who, lies, uh, who dies in his sleep without ever facing justice, maybe the abusive family member who never changed their ways, maybe it's the, the bullying work colleague who keeps getting promoted and retires comfortably, All of these people who go on throughout life, never repenting and never being condemned, will not get away with it in the end. And it can be so hard to see this now, but I think that's why our sinful hearts find revenge so satisfying. Because sadly, just like King David, the world around us is full of weak justice. 
In our hearts, we replace the reality of Christ's perfect justice with a longing for revenge. David recognizes the weak justice in the world in verse 39 when he cries out, The Lord repay the evildoer according to his weakness. So let's also be people who, even when we're wronged, can confidently cry out to the Lord, trusting patiently in him for the ultimate judgment of evil. Amen.